All right, we're on, Dad. Are we on? Yep, we're on. <clears throat> the greatest songwriter of the 1800s was, without doubt, Fanny Crosby, as an American songwriter. Um, she is credited with writing 8,000 poems, some say 10,000 or more, and uh, not all of her poems were Christian songs, Christian uh, poems. They were uh, uh, made into, many of her poems were made into songs, and typically in a average hymnal, you'll have as many as 15 of her hymns hmm. in, in any hymnal, such as Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. So when we, we think about the importance of hymns and the, the beauty of hymns, likely after your Bible as a Christian, the book that you're going to look at the most and use the most is your hymn book. <laughs> so, that's true, that's true. Yeah, and we, we'll often say you don't get your theology out of the hymn book, but the reason why so many of these hymns are so zealously sung and enjoyed is because they there is something biblical about them. Mm. And while we agree, yes, you don't get your theology out of the hymn book, but the reason why many of them live is their theology is sound and good. And we wonder if after we get to heaven, whether we're going to continue to sing many of these hymns that we've enjoyed down here. I... I like to think that uh, uh, there are many. Of course, most of the hymns, as you you look at the history of them, they've been tinkered with through the years. Many of them edited, altered, changed, updated, and uh, not fatally, usually, but but quite often you'll have certain expressions which will be shifted around from one verse to another, or deleted, or adjusted. And, and that's quite common. And I, uh, I, I'm only making the statement that our hymn books are not perfect. They're a work in progress. But we shouldn't dismiss the value of the hymn books. And the, the Apostle Paul said we need to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. We're not only talking to one another, encouraging one another, but also using the hymns as a vehicle to commune with God himself. I, I've come to greatly appreciate the hymns, and any Christian uh, who comes to know the Lord will discover that now they have a song in their heart, that I was pulled out of a deep, miry pit where there was no standing. I was in a desperate situation and after I came to Christ, one of the immediate things that we notice with new believers is they want to sing. And I, I didn't sing much before I became a Christian. I might have tried to mouth the words of some popular song. And it wasn't that we were devoid of music. But after we came to Christ, music in the heart became a natural thing. So... Um, I, I want to get back to, to Fanny Crosby, but uh, the, the great thing that I think about her is that though she was blinded as an, at an early age, she didn't look at her blindness as a hindrance, but rather a way by which 
other things in life became so much more real to her. So we have different senses. You have sight, but you also have hearing. You have touch, you have smell, you have taste. And, and those who are deprived of one sense often accentuate the others. So that as she was encouraged that way as a child, that there are so many other things for you to enjoy. Yes, it's true, you can't see. Other people can see. They can see color. Uh, they enjoy what they're looking at, and they can't imagine living without it. But for you, you don't have sight, but, but you do have taste. You do have feeling. And, and so this is, I think, a, a, a kind of a proverb for us or a parable that for the Christian today, we walk by faith and not by sight. So we, we have the five senses, but then there is something beyond the five senses, which is faith. And when, when we look to God by faith, it's really looking past the five senses or dismissing the five senses. Um, uh, we look not at that which is temporal, but that which is eternal. For that which is uh, not, we look not at the things of sight. We look at what is spiritual. That which is, that which we cannot see, the spiritual, these things are eternal. And the things which we can see and can experience are temporal. They're all passing away. And, and so the scripture says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? There in Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter is about the idea of faith. However much the word faith occurs in the Old Testament, it certainly is heavily referred to in the New. For instance, in the, in the book of John, God, John's Gospel, I think believing is mentioned about 150 times. And, and, and so... The New Testament is full of talk about faith. We're justified by faith. That's the hallmark of the, of the Reformation that sprang out, out of Germany. The, the idea of faith, heavily emphasized in the New Testament, but not dismissed in the Old. Not at all, because in Hebrews 11, he takes all this time to point out that Abel was a man of faith. Noah was a man of faith. Abraham was a man of faith. And he goes over all the great characters of Old Testament history and says that what they did, they did by faith. And, and then we get into the New Testament, and then faith starts to become a, a great theme, which is often referred to. Well, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. What you hope for is what you don't presently have. It's something in the future. You're looking forward to it. And, and so faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things which are not seen. Think of the lost person, and they're hearing the gospel. Now, as they're listening to the gospel and being urged to believe in Christ, at that point, they do not yet have eternal life. They don't have forgiveness. They're not justified yet. They're not entered into the family of God. 
Uh, they don't have acceptance into heaven. They don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. All the blessings that, that come through the gospel are things that they can only hope for. They're things yet future. Mm. And yet, they're told, you believe the gospel, believe in Christ, even though you don't yet have these things. Believe it now so that you might have all these things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, so that, you're, so that when a person hears the gospel and they're believing in Christ, Christ makes all these things yet future substantial to them. It's su the substance of things hoped for. And that's true not only for the lost person being offered Christ, you need to believe the gospel even though you do not yet have all these things. Believe it now so that you might have them. But also for the Christian, I'm not in heaven yet. I don't yet have my rewards that are promised in the future. I do not yet have all the blessings that will come to me once I get into heaven. There are many things that I yet hope for. But as I believe God, all those things become substantial. True. It's the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things which are not seen. So all those things which you receive through the gospel and you receive in Christ, eternal life, forgiveness, justification, peace with God, reconciliation along with that, the indwelling Holy Spirit, all of these things are unseen. But as you come to Christ, those things which you cannot see with your physical eyes become evidential. <coughs> and the proof of it, one proof, is that when you listen to Christians talk, and they'll be witnessing to somebody, and they'll want to emphasize the reality of what it means to become a Christian. They'll go on and on about all these things. They'll talk about being forgiven and having access into heaven, and that God now hears my prayers in a way that he didn't before. And and I have this understanding through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And you go on and on about all these spiritual realities that are, that are to you, evidential. Mm -hmm. And you'll even say that. I've got hard evidence for this. And the, the person you're talking to is looking at you thinking, what do you mean? How can you have evidence for being forgiven. How can anyone know that they're forgiven? How can anyone know that they have a clear title to be in heaven and are assured of it, have assurance of their salvation? How can you know any of this? And so they think it's pride. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. But the Christian is saying, no, I've got hard evidence. Well, why do you have hard evidence? Because God has made all these realities evidential to you. He's made it substantial, the things that you yet hope for, you don't yet have, but even though you're living without them right now, it's substantial to you. And those things which you cannot see are evidential. <laughs> so uh, this, this is really a great message for our present day. We've never lived in a day where people are being flooded with the, the senses, with uh, special effects with media, the role of media, and uh, we, we, th we think of how uh, Disney and Hollywood and, uh, 
and the, the news networks and all of that goes with it, it are flooding us. And, and, and they'll talk about um, walk, um, uh, watching a program and the chair that you're sitting on will, will uh, vibrate or move and, and, uh, and also putting on your body things that cause you to sense physically in, or, and emotionally really uh, what's going on on the screen. And, and, and so bombarding us with sensory things. But at the same time, you know that a lot of what media tells you cannot be trusted. Even, and we, we know that even with listening to the news, they'll, they'll talk about things as if it's self-evident. <laughs> they'll, they'll uh, uh, like I, I'll listen, for instance, to a, a, a network like NPR. And whenever they bring up the matter of abortion, it's as if there's only one side to this issue, and that is that everybody needs to have a right to murder their un unborn children. Yeah. They talk about these things when they talk about moral perversion. There's only one side to that issue. There's not two sides at all. And the one side is, is that people have a right and a duty to expand the civil rights movement, and you have a civil right to... to uh, be morally perverse, and and that's the way they talk about it, as if uh, there's only one side. And I, I'm listening to this. I'm thinking they're trying to marshal evidence or bring up anecdotal stories. They'll have a story about somebody whose feelings were hurt or or was damaged in some way, and how terrible this was, and so on, to justify their stand. But it's false. We're being told lies all the time. So you're being lied to, lied to quite often by journalists, by politicians, by news people. And we're always being lied to in the media because when, they, when they're talking to us, they'll often tell stories that never happened. They're, they're fictional. They never happened before. They're not happening now. And they're never going to happen. It's not true. It, it, it's something which is imaginary. But they're wanting all of these things to become substantial and evidential. And so they're, they're bombarding our five senses. Mm -hmm. But the Christian has something else. He has a sense of faith. He has, a, he has another sense. Now, people, other people, they could believe God. At the, at the present, they appear... I th many people, I think, to be believing entertainers and celebrities and, and people that they admire and look up to. Well, it, th they could believe in the Lord Jesus. They could do that. And in doing that, actually tap into and become, and, and become joined to what is true and right and eternal. Not things which are false. And the, in, in a couple of years these theories that we're presently hearing so confidently insisted on are all going to be debunked. Mm -hmm. They're going to be debunked. People are going to, there's a new study that's going to come out and it's going to cause them to apologize, but it won't matter. They'll just keep charging ahead with falsehood and lies. Yeah. They're being lied to all the time. And, and so for the Christian, we say what is really important then is not the five senses, but it's the 
faculty of faith. And and I, I started talking, I, I know I've gone on and on on this thing, but I started talking about Fanny Crosby because Fanny Crosby was a blind person. And everybody knew that she was blind and they always talked about how she was blind and, and how she was, uh, 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 one time she was asked um, when she got to heaven, how she would know who, which one the Lord Jesus was. And she said, well, I'll, um, I'll see the smile on his face. And someone said, well, everyone will be smiling. And then Fanny said, oh, but then I'll take his hand and I'll find the nail prints. And so we have that song, I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hand. Praise God. Yeah. So um, the 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 uh, the theme a great preoccupation of Fanny Crosby's songs was the idea of faith and she talked about sight she whenever she would see somebody she would say oh it's so good to see you uh-huh. <laughs> so she, she would recognize people's voices she had a phenomenal memory a great sense of humor and and she was just a delightful person lived to a very advanced age and and uh, was a great testimony she she knew i think or had encountered every president it seems i, I want to say from andrew jackson to woodrow wilson wow <laughs> yeah she lived through that whole period and she was a bit of a prodigy a, a brilliant person who uh, was writing poetry all the time and and met a dear Christian publisher who persuaded her that she should write Christian songs. And she thought, well, I'm writing popular poetry. And what is popular, it's meant for the masses. It's it's in a very common vernacular. And it wouldn't be appropriate for sacred music. Well, that, of course, has always been said of all the great hymn writers. When Isaac Watts came out with his poetry or when Charles Wesley came out with his poetry, people complained that it was too common. It was it was not um, uh, dignified enough mm-hmm. in their own way, and they made those complaints. I think uh, I remember reading somebody complaining about Charles Wesley's poetry and calling it doggerel. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> doggerel, I think, is like the barking of a dog. Yeah. You hear an animal howling at the moon at night, and now now we have the Gettys beating them at their own game. Like, <laughs> we're gonna get more doctrinal, more doctrinal. Well, that's that's a great thing. I I want to talk about. Maybe we can in another session. That that Fanny Crosby emphasized the great need of faith and the reality of faith, and it comes across in so many of her hymns, and that's a great message for all of us today. And interestingly, there has been in the church uh, an interest in a return to ceremonialism. And what is all that about? Well, it's substituting what is spiritual for what can be seen and what what appeals to the senses. And many of the world's religions are totally preoccupied with this idea of the sensory experience. Yeah. And so they'll 
they'll light candles and burn incense and, and have certain visual effects. And in the modern church, it's, it's not like the stained glass windows. It's more like the light show and, and the, the experience of, of well, you know, they, they're, they're putting on a show. But again, appealing to the senses. Whereas the, real, the true Christian experience, while, yes, I go outside, I enjoy God's creation. And, and, and the music appeals musically to my hearing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we don't dismiss the senses. And we, we certainly uh, we commit our, not, uh, not only our mind, but all of our senses, our body, through which we experience all these things mm -hmm. of feeling and, and, uh, and smell and hearing, all, all of those things um, uh, are things we commit to God. We don't dismiss them, but we need to know that the one way by which we connect with God is by faith. And faith is not the same as touch and hearing and smell and taste. It's something above it and beyond it, where you're connecting with what is spiritual and what is eternal. In fact, you do not make one step forward spiritually except by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You, you don't make any progress except when you're doing so by faith. We walk, it's one foot in front of the next, by faith and not by sight. So uh, Fanny Crosby in her, in her songs makes that point. And it's a great point. Yeah. And we enjoy it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we're in a world where we're being bombarded in a sensory way. We need, we need to say, Lord, make my sense of faith the strongest faculty in my life. Amen. Amen. That's good. So what was her upbringing? What was her what kind of church did she go to? And she was raised in a Methodist church. Okay. But um, I think when she was a teenager... Uh, she went to live, her mother took her to live with a lady who was a Presbyterian, and uh, she was there for, I think, several years. And it was at that time that she really got absorbed in Scripture. And from the ages of 10 to 15, with her mother's encouragement, her mother was a woman of tremendous pluck. And What does that mean? Pluck? Pluck, determination, uh, make it happen, get it done. Grit, diligence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an old word. Hmm. This woman's got pluck. Nice. <laughs> it's a good word. And Fanny memorized huge chunks of the Word of God. By the time she was fifteen, she, I. This is what I'm told, and it's in the books, but. There are several biographies written about her, and you can find these. And there's so also some really great podcasts that you can listen to on YouTube about the life of Fanny Crosby. Hmm. Some really excellent things there, 
and um, and people have tr dramatized her life and told her story many times. So um, uh, she could recite the book of Proverbs. She could recite, I think, the first four books of Moses. She could, uh, um, of course, big sections of the Psalms, uh, the, the four Gospels, to know these entire books from memory wow. and other sections of the Word. So she had a phenomenal mind and had retention of those passages. So when she, as an adult, was later persuaded to write Christian poetry, then she was filling her, her songs and poetry with scriptural allusions. And very beautifully done. Mm -hmm. Of course, everybody's poem is not a great poem. Every, you know, if you're writing a poem a day, like Charles Wesley did that, he'd write one poem a day. And, uh, and so not every poem uh, that Charles Wesley wrote uh, was set to music and became a great Christian hymn. Yeah. And, and not, a, not every poem of, of Fanny Crosby. There's a ton of poetry and much of it very beautiful, but there's a ton of it being produced. A lot of it is never going to become a hymn of the church. It's not going to become something which our for generations are going to want to sing, and uh, our our job is as we look at the songs to look at those songs which are uh, poetically true, speaking the truth, doctrinally correct. That is also set to appropriate music, which is singable, and and when you get a match of great poetry, which is, in a poetic sense, good poetry, which is doctrinally true, mm -hmm. and set to appropriate music. Yeah. The music which matches and accentuates the poetry. Then you've got something that the Christians are going to be blessed by. And we have a lot of those songs. Yeah. There's a lot of old hymns. Now, some of them, the, the language is sometimes difficult for us. And that's an issue by itself. But there's also great poetry being produced today. And if the Holy Spirit is, in fact, indwelling the church, we expect that there will continue to be poets that God will bless and use. And Fanny Crosby <laughs> was one of them. Out of her innermost being flowed rivers of living water. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some people like Bezaliel who helped build the tabernacle. It says the Holy, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so they have a special anointing to do work for the kingdom that a lot of us have no capacity to. Well. And so I, I, I see people like that and I think, well, yeah, of course. Why not? Yeah. The Bible doesn't say it stops. No. No. Well, you don't know, John Mark. It might be that there is some truth that the Lord will give to you which would be a great blessing, and you might have the ability to to write. Maybe you're not going to write a poem a day, but maybe you write one poem. And sometimes there's been a one piece which has so blessed God's church that you, you feel like when you look at it, it is enough, Lord, take me home. <laughs> I have accomplished my work. Yes. There's nothing more I could ever do than than this.
<laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. So don't uh, don't sell yourself short. Um, There's a song. Um, it's a modern song. I don't know if we ever end up singing it in our church. Um, and it's a, maybe a fluffy song. A lot of people might look down on it, but it's called How He Loves Us. Oh, How He Loves Us? Oh, How, oh. Oh, how He Loves he, You and Me? No, it's a more modern one. It's not as doctrinally sound. Oh. or It mm-hmm. just it just goes on and on about how he loves us. Oh, okay. Like, uh, he is a hurricane, I am a tree. Like oh. Those are the illustrations it uses. And it's this idea that God's grace is overwhelming. And it was written, the guy who wrote it, they were in a prayer meeting. And uh, if I understand this correctly, the guy in this prayer meeting, this church group, you know, youth worship yeah. leaders, whatever they were, one of the guys prayed, Lord, if it means taking my life to reach this generation, I pray that you would do it. And that night, I think it's the guy who prayed it. That night, he died in a car accident. Oh! And wow! Yeah. And then the writer, I think it's John Mark McMillan, who wrote the song. Yeah. Got the call that that's his buddy, you know, who he was just praying with five hours earlier or two hours. Oh earlier, my! Died. I, I, if I understand the correctly, I, this is really bad. If I'm getting it all wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is how it happened. Um. He got the call and wrote that song. And that song has gone on to communicate God's grace to this whole generation. Wow. And so it is a tragedy. It's also an answer to prayer. Yeah. Not the way we would want it to happen necessarily, but no. in God's sovereignty, he fi- he made it. <laughs> you got to be careful what you pray. I'm nervous to pray sometimes. Right, right. Um, but he that happened that way, and uh, but that you could I I I feel like it is the spirit saying. You know, it's simple. It's it's a very yeah. simple. It gets it's kind of an earworm of a song, and but heck, why not? And God will do this, and He communicates yeah. His grace to people in a simple way. It's all over the radio now. Oh, so. That happened. Not as skillful as Bazelial or Fanny Crosby. I what I'm not anywhere close to any of that level of well, skilled musician, so I can't even talk about quality. But I just thought it's amazing. And God does what that. A story. He reaches people. What a thing. What a message. Yeah. That's that's powerful. Yeah, it's overwhelming because especially if you're in a moment of sin. And then repentance, guilt, you know, you have this guilt and um, hopefully it's a godly sorrow leading to repentance. Yeah. And you get that message of God's grace and his forgiveness, his unconditional grace. Yeah. Not on, not based on any works of righteousness I've done. It's overwhelming and it humbles you. And it says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So I think it's a great, so to harp on that the quality of that message yeah but yeah praise the lord yeah that's great yeah to be uh able again to speak things which are true uh true in our life like think about folks who are using drugs uh the the idea of using drugs is to somehow invent joy when I don't have a real reason for joy. But for the Christian, I have 
substantial. I don't have to imagine something. Mm -hmm. I don't have to introduce joy where there is no real cause for joy. I have joy. Yeah. And and I have every reason. I have every reason to be a happy person. Yeah. And and that is itself by itself a, a victory over sin. Sin is offering you um, joy. You know, whether it's by overeating or by indulging your lusts or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, you're 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 trying to invent joy when you don't have a right to it. But yeah. if I am saved by the grace of God, I have a title to heaven. Not, not in my own goodness, but because of Christ, who He is. Yeah. In His and so. Is it right for me to rejoice? It's totally right. Yeah. It's, right it's wrong for me not to rejoice. Well, it's even to the point where, yeah, you're commanded to be joyful yeah. as a Christian. So, Yeah, praise God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can have joy. Absolutely. Now, now did Fanny Crosby marry? Uh, yeah, she did. She uh, married another... She was at a, a school for the blind, and then she... Um, uh, went on to teach at that school, and when she was, I believe, 38 years old, she married one of the other teachers at the school who also was blind. He was an organist. Hmm. They ended up living in New York City. He was one of, they said, one of the best organists in the whole city of of um, New York. She kept her maiden name because uh, as a I guess on a professional level yeah. because she was known as Fanny Crosby. Uh, her hus- husband's name was Van Alstein. Oh, and Dutch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't take it hard. <laughs> <laughs> and they had a child, but the little girl, I think when only about two months old, passed away. Uh-huh. That was a great sorrow to her. Yeah. Yeah. It was a... Um, and, and they say that the, the poem that she composed safe in the arms of Jesus which was a tremendous comfort to so many who have lost loved ones was written in connection with the loss of her hmm. of her little little girl which she didn't talk about much but it did happen yeah. she went through that it was a private private sorrow and this, the proverb says uh, the heart knows its own bitterness yep and no stranger shares its joy. No sh- stranger shares its joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? We have things of great joy, which are between us and the Lord, yep. and also things of great sorrow that also, again, I, if I share my sorrows, quite often people are not able to sympathize. You, you try to explain to people what it was like or how it happened. Yeah and how much grief it caused, but you can't get it across. Yeah. And and they can't seem to quite enter into it. But um but it's the same also with joy. Mm-hmm. It's 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 strange that way. Yeah. The heart knows its own bitterness. Now I'm reading through Job right now and reading what his friends say to him and kind of their critique or their yeah. assessment I'm analyzing how could I talk with someone who's grieving because I feel like God has spared me from great grief yeah and 
so I'm totally unequipped. And you're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm-hmm. But I just have, um, yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, it's you got to be the special one to meet someone in that moment and deal and and bring comfort. Yeah. Because Job's friends did not do that. No, no, they didn't. It's an odd thing that everyone's sorrows are quite different, but that we're we are able at some level to sympathize with them. And when I went through my trial in 2021, I got sick. I got very terribly sick, and uh, and on several occasions almost died. I was so close to dying, and the doctors didn't really think I was going to pull out. And they thought if I did, I'd be a vegetable yeah. or or a total invalid. And actually, when I got, I got out of the hospital in October of 21, I was an invalid. I was being transferred from my bed into an electric wheelchair with a sling by a hydraulic lift. <laughs> I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk. I could move my hands, but I, I was, I was an invalid, and I was to- totally being cared for. Now I've recovered, and I'm, I'm able to walk and get around and do a lot of things. I'm still quite, I'm handicapped in a way, mm-hmm. from that. But during that same time, my father died, my mother died, my older brother died, and of that time of recovery. Mm-hmm. So in the last year and a half, I've had. A, a lot of sorrow that uh, was un, very different from the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Because throughout life, there would be times of, of grieving, but I was, generally speaking, quite healthy, and, and uh, none of my siblings or my family members, they're all long livers, no one died. It was, it was it, it, I, I was like you are. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand. But when I went through that trial, on a couple of occasions, I would talk to people who were going through similar trials. No, well, actually, I, I should correct that. They were going through trials, but as I looked at it from my viewpoint, their trials were quite different. But they would say to me, you understand. Hmm. Now... I would listen to that and I think, do I understand? Well, I went through something. And because I had gone through a difficult trial, we had a connection. And that was a great thing. It was yeah. a, a, a real privilege I saw. I had a privilege of connecting with people in their sorrows because I had gone through something. So when you do go through these hard times, and you will, it, because it is granted unto us not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his namesake. So it is granted. What does that mean? It's a given. It, just as much as faith is in the fabric of living a Christian life. You, you don't do anything except by faith. Yeah. As a Christian, you got saved by faith. We're justified by faith. And we walk by faith every day. So faith is in the fabric of Christianity. It's what Christians do. So Paul is saying, just like faith is so is common to every experience of the Christian, likewise suffering will be. 
great. Isn't that? Well, that's what he's saying. Yeah. It's granted unto you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his name. So you you assume that. And as I look back, I'd say I was untouched. I I didn't have a lot of heart. Well, well, sort of, sort of, because. Immediately when I came to Christ, I lost friends. And that was, as I look back on it, a difficulty. It was a sorrow. There were all these people that I thought were really good friends, and suddenly they wanted nothing to do with me because I wouldn't do drugs with them, but also because I wanted to talk about the Lord Jesus, and I would tend to witness to them, and they didn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. So there's two things against me. One is that I wasn't laughing at the same jokes I used to laugh at, and I wasn't, I wasn't uh, connecting with them. There were things which, on a social level, um, were totally changed. Yeah. But also, uh, my allegiance to the Lord Jesus, which they weren't ready for. Yeah. Or they they were ready for it, but they didn't didn't believe so. Yeah. I mean, they they needed to trust Him. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I went through sorrows. I did have sorrows. But as I looked through it, I thought, you know, the Lord sustained me in it. And in this last year and a half, it was just one step at a time. And there was a lot of physical pain. There was um, a lot of discomfort. There were a lot of difficult things uh, and loss. Things that were being taken away from me. Things which I had once enjoyed and could do freely. Suddenly, can't do that. Can't do this anymore. Can't do that anymore. You won't go here anymore. Can't do that anymore. And and that was that was uh, kind of hard. But you just take it one day at a time. And, oh, I'm going to lose this too. Oh, I can't do that anymore. You're smiling right now. Well, yeah, I have joy. I do have joy. Mm -hmm. And it's... And it's it's not fabricated, and I don't have to put it on. It's just there. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. Now, did Fanny Crosby write about experiences, um, like in a memoir? In a oh, that's uh, a good question. Nar narrative, or is it all? That's a really good question, because a lot of anecdotes are told about her. People would go interview her. She would, she, you know, she met presidents of the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, had talks with Abraham Lincoln. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, things like that. So it, it, was, uh, it was all very interesting how the, the connection she had. And, and when you go in you have talks with important people, all that gets recorded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, boy, I'm trying to think. I, I I have to go back and look in the bi in the biographies see how much she actually had recorded. Okay. Of course, she would take things. She had a, an amazing memory. She would compose poetry, have it memorized, and she would have a whole store of poems. Really. There's a story one time that she had composed forty different pieces of poetry, and these would be like a you know, four verses of a, of a, what today we'd have composed in a song. Yep. But four, uh, each verse would have, you know, four lines to it. Yeah. And she had about 40 poems put together and had them all by memory waiting for a friend who came and put them all down by dictation. And she what? could quote, recite each one of them. Are you serious? Yeah. She had a phenomenal mind. Wow. 
Wow. Isn't that great? Yeah. All right. Thank um, God that there are ever such uh, wonderful mm. believers, fruitful Christians. Any particular book that stands out that I can recommend in the notes for people to read? Ooh, ooh, if they ooh. Really wanna. Ooh, I should have my biographies in front of me. I, um, I would definitely say get your get an old hymn book and look up in the in the index all the hymns of Fanny Crosby right. and read them and see if what I'm telling you is accurate and right. Okay. And my big emphasis is on the need of faith, and page through your hymn book, and notice this emphasis in the great hymns on faith and the reality of faith, and think it through, think it through. And, and see if what I'm saying is accurate and right. I'm especially saying about the spiritual realities and how, yes, we enjoy the visual, we enjoy our senses. I enjoy a good meal. I enjoy a walk. I enjoy all those things. Mm -hmm. There's all these things God-given that we need to be thankful for and enjoy. But that's not the same as walking by faith. Yeah, Faith is by itself the one way by which we connect to God. We live by faith. Mm -hmm. We stand by faith. We walk by faith. 